Suffering for Christ is the theme for my passage today. What gets you up in the morning? What drives you? For some of you, it may be a job that provides an income for your family. For others, it may be children, as you must get up to take care of them each and every morning. And yet, for some of you who are not working at all because you're retired, what motivates you to get up and get moving each and every day? And for others, it may be that you own a company that you work, and you have employees that are depending on you for their success. All of these things can be the means that drives us, that helps us to get moving each and every day. But if I were to ask you a different question, what is your mission in life? Yes, you can get up in the morning, but what drives you each and every morning? What would you say? You might ask the question, why do I even need a mission? What is a mission? A mission is a work that must happen every single day to ensure that your purpose and accomplishments of your vision for the world and your daily life is accomplished. There's this desire that you have that you must make sure that it takes place. And that is your mission as you're moving through life. It drives you. It pushes you. Do you have anything such as this in your life? What does it mean to have a mission? The word mission is not a biblical word, so we must define what it means and what we're talking about when we say mission. The word mission comes from the Latin word mito, which means to send, or misso, which means sending. So mission implies that someone has sent something or someone to accomplish a task. In other words, for us, the church, it is God who put us here to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is and should be our purpose and our mission. Is this part of your mission in life? Is this part of who you are as a person? that drives you and pushes you each and every day. As we look at our text this morning, and even the two books that we've looked at prior to this, the book of Acts and the book of Philippians, we see Paul living out his mission and ministry daily. Although he is still in chains and in prison, his mission and ministry has not changed. His ministry and mission 
in life are to share the gospel with everyone and that they would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, even if it means he will suffer. I think that is remarkable. Are you willing to suffer for Jesus Christ in your mission because you know that is what you're supposed to do regardless to what happens to you? My proposition for this morning is Paul suffers to make known the mystery of Christ. He is willing to do whatever it takes to make known the mystery of Christ. My first point, Paul's activities. It says, now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Rejoicing in suffering. Can you say that you're willing to rejoice in suffering? Paul understood that his suffering was a purpose, has a purpose, that the church, as well as others, would see firsthand that suffering and hardships are a part of following Christ. When we proclaim that all we need is Christ, you must also understand that you will get some backlash from that statement. If you did not know this already, the world in which you and I live, do not like that. Christ in him alone, he's sufficient. The world in which we live in would rather say, I prefer Jesus plus something else. Or in fact, I would denounce your Jesus altogether and denounce his gospel altogether. I am reminded of what Jesus told Ananias about Paul, who at that time was called Silas, or Saul, I'm sorry. In preparation or for the suffering that he would take place in his life, in Acts 9, verses 10 through 16, this is what it says. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to straight, go, go to street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered and said, I have heard from many about this particular man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And, there he, and here he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, 
for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry before the Gentiles and to kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. At the time, Saul did not know what was going to take place. But the Lord did. But it's interesting, later in the book of Acts, Paul also understood what was going to be a part of his life. In fact, in Acts 20, verses 22 through 24, Paul understood that imprisonment and hardships and afflictions were going to be a part of his life as he ministered to the Gentiles. This was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. He understood what was coming. Filling up what is lacking. What is lacking that Paul is filling, fulfilling? It is the persecution of Christ. Think about this. They nailed Christ to the cross, buried him, and they thought, it's done. It's over. This is going to subside. There's going to be no more hearing of this. But he raised from the dead, no longer dead, and yet many saw him. Many interacted with him. And his disciples were so excited. They now understand who this Jesus is as he was the Messiah, the one chosen. And they go out and tell everyone about this Jesus and about what he has done. No longer are they afraid, but they are emboldened to share this truth. Because he is the Messiah. But the same truth holds true for Paul. He too understood that they wanted to get to Christ, but Christ is no longer here. But guess what? Paul is. And so he is in chains. He is feeling the pain of being scourged. In fact, many around the world today are feeling that same effect. They cannot get to Christ, but they can get to his believers. What about you? Are you willing to go through something such as this? Are you willing to be persecuted, beat up for the gospel? In Galatians 6.17, Paul says, For I bear on my body the marks of Christ. He understood that they could not get to him, 
but they are going to hate him such that he has the marks on his body. See, as the church witnesses the full faithfulness of Paul in his chains, it helps them to understand and helps them to walk through whatever they may be facing or will be facing. For this church, it's not chains that they have to worry about. Their issue is the idea of philosophies and thoughts and ideas of the gospel plus something else. Where they're not looking at Christ being all-sufficient for everything. So they have a different battle than what Paul is facing. Stewarding the word. Verse 25 says, Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. You see, when you are a steward of something, it means that someone significant, more significant than you, has given you a task. You are not to alter that task or to change it by any means. You are called to speak for the one who sent you. Paul understood that God gave him the responsibility to share the gospel with the Gentiles. Although he did not start this particular church, but got word from Epaphras of their transformation. and the new life they now experience in Christ. Paul wants to anchor them in the gospel. He wants to make it fully known that Christ is sufficient. Have you ever been in a situation, personally, that you had to share some very difficult information with somebody else? And you were concerned. How would they respond to this information that I must now give them? Will you change the message to make it more palatable for them? Will you soften it to help them receive it? Paul did not do that. Paul understood that what they needed was the true gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't water it down. He understood that Christ was all-sufficient. Unfortunately, today, in the world in which you and I live, we have others who want to soften the gospel. We want to make it more palatable for others because we want people to come into our church. And so we want to make it comfortable for them where they don't feel harshness. But the problem is we forget that yes, God is love, but God is also holy. He is also righteous. 
And we must share his gospel even when others may push back from it. So here it is, Paul is talking to the Colossian church, understanding that if they reject the philosophies of this world, that they may get some pushback because this is may be how they have lived for a long period of time. This is may be all that they've known. But we want them to understand that their hope is in the gospel. How would you respond to someone who understood that their hardships and difficulties in life was because that they were sharing the gospel? Would you pull away from them, fearing that if I acknowledge you and be friends with you, that I too may experience the hardship and the difficulties you are facing today? Or would you embrace them and encourage them to stay firm on the gospel? You see, Paul understood that God had given him the responsibility to make the word of God fully known. He, want, he was not to change the word to fit the desires of the culture around him. Is this not what many churches do today? Many want to make it comfortable. And so they water down the gospel. My second point, Paul's platform. Who would have ever thought that being in prison would be a platform for the proclamation of the gospel and that the Gentiles would hear that gospel? What is it that Paul wants to make fully known? He says that there was a mystery that was hidden for ages. And I think that's remarkable because you read the Old Testament, you realize that God himself had chosen the Hebrew people, later known as the Israelites. And so they go through and they determine that they were the chosen ones. When you read passages like Exodus 6, 7, where it says, God says, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am your God, who has brought you out of the burdens of Egypt. Now again, think about it. You have multiple passages in the Old Testament stating this very fact. And so they lived their lives understanding that they were the chosen ones. God, the Almighty, that says, I choose you to be my people. It is not that they are something special. It's just that God, it says, I choose you. The mystery of Christ 
hope of glory. In verse 26, it says, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make fully known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory, of this mystery, which is Christ in you. You see, this mystery is new to the Gentiles as they heard the gospel preached and they responded to the message. And it changed them from the inside out. As we saw last time, that they were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. But they are now reconciled by the blood of Christ. They are no longer as they once were. They are now different. In fact, in Romans 8, 11, it tells us, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You see, this transformation is not because of their personal willpower, but because God who raised Christ from the dead now resides within them. One of the challenges you and I face in this world is that we do not take in the many changes that this world offers. You see, the world wants to change the gospel to fit its current mindset of the day. And if you are any age older than teenagers, you will understand and remember how there's many changes that has taken place in the world in which we live today. They would rather to add to or take away from things that are not popular today in its culture. You see, just like the church in Colossae, we at Gateway must also hold fast to understanding that we have all we need in Christ and in his gospel. Can you imagine how excited these new believers are, these Gentiles, as they understand that they now are a part of the redemptive plan of God? This hope and this glory was Jesus the Messiah that now lives within them, they now have an inheritance that they did not have before. Paul's message, he says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. You see, we must proclaim Christ. From the very beginning of the book of Colossae, we have seen who the main character is. It is Christ. 
Paul wants these believers to be filled with the knowledge of Christ in the spiritual wisdom. He wants them to live in a manner that pleases Christ. He wants them to give thanks to the Father as they have been transformed and transferred from darkness to the kingdom of his Son. He wants them to understand it's all about Christ and him alone. If I were to ask you today, as you look at your typical day, what does it look like? Is Christ at the forefront of your day and in your life? Is he something you give priority to? Or is he something that you add on to your life when you have time? Paul says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone. Why do we have warning signs? And what is the danger if we ignore those warning signs? It would be wise for you to maybe change your route if you saw a sign that says, the bridge is out. You might want to go a different direction. Or you might want to slow down if you're traveling on a four-lane highway that says, single lane ahead. Or you might even slow down when it's raining and it says, roads are slippery when wet. Or how about this one? It is in the middle of winter and you're going over the pass and it says, chains are required when going over the pass and you don't have any. Do you continue on? Or do you turn around and go a different direction? What about other warning signs for you personally? What about fits of anger? Lack of self-control? Hatred? Resentment? Or thinking that you can live any way you want because God is love? This is just a small list of the things, of the warning signs that you and I should pay attention to as it tells us that there's something going on in our hearts that needs to change. There's also warning signs if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ that you need to be aware of and not reject. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Do you believe that today? 
Further down on 6.23, it says, we understand that death comes from our sin. The wages of sin is death. When Jesus was here, he said that there's only one mediator to the Father. And again, think about it. Our world does not like to understand that there's only one way to the Father. Jesus says of himself, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Do you understand this? You see, the believers in Colossae did not ignore these, but understood and responded to enjoy the new life in Christ. But we also understand this, that every church has believers and unbelievers. That's just the way it is. But see, they responded in the right way. And now they have new life in Christ. What about you today? Have you ignored some of the warning signs of your life personally? Have you said no? To the free gift from Christ. You see, Paul has a purpose. It is to present everyone mature in Christ. Because these believers have been transferred and transformed from darkness to light, their new purpose is to look like the one who redeemed them. Christ. Romans 8.29 tells us, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to conform to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among, among many brethren. They are to no longer look like the world in which they grew up in, in which are, they live around them, but they are to look differently as Romans 12, 2 tells us. Because the world is trying to shape them. And, they're telling, and Paul is telling them, you are not like this world anymore. You are different because of Christ. You need to look like him. Scripture often tells us that we are to be mature in Christ. What does that look like? Have you ever considered that? What does maturity in Christ look like? I like the way Peter put it in 2 Peter 1, verses 3 through 11. So he gives us who you are in Christ. And he also then tells you what you must also do as believers in Jesus Christ, as well as the danger 
that takes place if you do not. This is who we are in Christ. He says, His divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. I have given you everything you need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him, Christ. And because I've given you everything you need, he says, for this very reason, starting at verse 5, he says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, moral excellence, and with virtue, knowledge, that you grow in your knowledge of your relationship with Christ. And with knowledge, self-control. That when life is difficult, you're able to stand firm and have self-control. With self-control, steadfastness. Because life at times is going to get difficult. Will you stand fast or will you run away? He said, steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness. That your life portrays who you are in Christ. That you live in a manner of which others can see who you are. And with godliness, brotherly affection. Do you love the body of Christ? Do you love your brothers and sisters? Yes, guess what? We all have our issues. But brotherly affection. And with brotherly affection, love. Love for your Savior who redeemed you, who, who sacrificed his life for you. And are you willing to share that love with others? He says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing. Increasing. They will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says you are supposed to grow in these areas. They are to be growing in you that others will see the difference in you. But verse 9 says, for whoever lacks these qualities are nearsighted, that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Yes, we are redeemed by the blood of Christ. But that doesn't mean that I can just now sit and do nothing. He's called us to do something, to be a different person now than who we once were. 
we must not forget what Christ has done for us. Verse 10 says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, yes, I failed today, but I will do better tomorrow. You will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided you an inheritance into eternal, the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are to practice these things. We are to grow in these things. We are to grow to be mature in these areas. Paul's procedure. He says, toiling with this purpose in mind. He says, for this I toil, struggling with all energy that he powerfully works within me. Why do we toil over something? Have you considered that? Why do we spend energy on something? You see, we toil because it is something important to us. We are willing to devote our time, our energy, and even our finances. Here we hear Paul's stress, his willingness to struggle, to work hard, to bring others to maturity in Christ. He is willing to do whatever it takes that others will grow into maturity of Christ. A few months ago, we had a parenting conference, and it was interesting. One of the questions that was asked at the very beginning of our conference was, as parents, what is it you desire for your children? Hmm. You know, that is a very good question. What is it you desire for your children? As we pondered this and talked amongst ourselves about this, but then the next question was asked, how much time do you devote to that purpose? Also, a very good question. Because if you have a purpose for your children and you don't spend any time for that, the question now lies with us is, how bad do we want this? How badly do we want this for our children? As a follower of Jesus Christ, do you want to look like him? Do you want others to see Christ in you? Are you toiling for this purpose? Are you working on your own personal behaviors that others will see Christ in you? Fueled by the energy God's 
works within him. We see that Paul is using all the strength given to him for this purpose. But it's not his strength alone. He is fueled with the energy provided by Christ. Paul understands this mission and this ministry was given to him by Christ. And it is Christ that gives him the endurance to do what is necessary to complete the mission. I think that is so significant. Yes, Paul is striving for this, but he understands it's not just him. It is Christ in him. So I have just a few concluding thoughts that I'd like to leave with you today. What is your mission and your ministry in life? Is it Christ? Is he at the forefront of your daily life? Is that what motivates you each and every morning, wherever he has placed you? How have you used the platform God has given you for your ministry and your mission? How are you using it? In fact, if you're not sure, have you even asked God to help you understand how I can use my ministry for your glory? What is the, me- what is the message you are portraying from your platform about your mission? in your ministry? Is it Christ and him alone? Or have you added Christ plus something else to make it more palatable for others? How are you living out your mission, and your ministry? Does your daily walk show that you're living out the gospel each and every day? Are you living out the gospel every single day? In whose strength Are you toiling under in your mission and ministry? Is this you and your willpower to make this happen? Are you striving in your own strength to do this? Or are you growing in your reliance on Christ? where you are daily looking at his word to adhere his word and to live by his word, understanding it is him who fuels you to do what you're supposed to do.
Is Christ and his gospel sufficient for you today? Or have you taken on the philosophies and ideas of the world in which we live today? Let us pray. Father, we thank you again for who you are. We are thankful that you are all-sufficient, that all we need is you and nothing else. You've called us to grow in our knowledge of you. You've called us to be mature in you. Help us to stand firm to the message that you have called us to proclaim, that we would not water down that message, that we would not denounce it by changing it, but we would be steadfast in our proclamation of your truth. We thank you again for our time of fellowship as a body of believers. I pray that you will help each of us in our struggles, that we will live out the truth of the gospel and not be ashamed of this gospel, that we would not add to this gospel, that we would not take away from this gospel, but we would understand that you have orchestrated this gospel perfectly for a dying world. May we be faithful in what you have called us to do. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.